amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jora. And last week on the show, we, we had a first, and uh, I'm not proud of it. Uh, I missed the show. And uh, all I can say is that uh, authorities believe alcohol was involved. Well, regardless of that, uh, <laughs> the guest who was supposed to be on last week has graciously uh, agreed to come back uh, on this week, and uh, hopefully we can make up for last week's fiasco. So without uh, further ado, uh, let me uh, bring on uh, Gold Glove Award voter uh, Chris Dial. Chris, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it was no problem at all. I'm up that time of night anyway, at this time of night, so uh, it just meant uh, – I was had something else going on the side while I was waiting for you. Well, uh, I, again, I apologize, but let's get into right into the questions. And you know, you're you you get to vote for the Gold Glove Awards, which I think is beyond cool. And I would just like for you to explain to everyone how the voting for that actually works. Um, so the voting for the Gold Gloves has the long history of the players and um, the coaches and managers vote for the players, but they can't vote for players on their own team. And there is a ballot that goes out to help. So they get a ballot that has uh, fielding percentage, assists, putouts, errors. At least that was true up until about uh, four years ago. And the first year that uh, Rawlings approached Sabre and said, can you help us with that? And Saber said, sure, and uh, the Society for American Baseball Research came up with a Saber Defensive Index. Now, that's a, a calculation based on um, well-known uh, DRS from Baseball Info Solutions, uh, UZR, which is published at Fangraphs, Total Zone at Sean Foreman's Baseball Reference, uh, it was written by Sean Smith um, originally. I think he still does it. <clears throat> and then two other metrics, uh, DRA, Defensive Regressive Regression Analysis, by Michael Humphreys, who has a book on it that you can buy at Amazon. It's a very good book. And then RED runs Effectively Defended, which was originally built as DRS uh, 20 several years ago but um, got outweighed by Baseball Info Solutions, so renamed as Red. But anyway, <clears throat> the Sabre Defensive Index takes 
red and DRS, and they get weighted in the voting at 25%. UZR gets weighted at 20%. Total zone gets weighted at 15%, and DRA gets weighted at 15%. So that's how we take at any given uh, voting period or publishing period. We all report our numbers in. Sean Foreman and FX Flynn, who's the treasurer in, uh, of, of Sabre, but also on the uh, Sabre uh, Committee for Defense, they put together the spreadsheet that weights uh, all of those stats, and then and that pours out what our vote, the aggregate run saved by a fielder is. And now those numbers also get put on the ballot. So in September, when the ballots go out to the coaches and managers, they don't just get fielding percentage. They also get defensive runs saved as, uh, but not, you know, not, not uh, by SDI, by the calculation of all of those stats, which is a huge difference. And that's really why you see a huge change in who's winning the gold gloves. The push is the, – the influence of the SDI is, is clear and important. No more Rafael Palmeiros, I'm guessing. Extremely unlikely, but it's not impossible. Um, obviously, uh, there are players that can, can still get in because they have a strong reputation, and it will take a – more than the, what, four years, five years for the influence to really uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in that regard. I will say that this year I don't, I don't know of any clunkers at all. Even <clears throat> And we have, like when Adam Jones won a few years ago, he actually was probably below average as a fielder, but he had been good for several years in a row, just not that year. Uh, this year, even the people who didn't rank one or two in their league were, were actually still really good at Evan Longoria is an example. Longoria may not have been the best fielder in the league, but he was a very good fielder, but may have placed fifth or sixth in the actual uh, ordinal rankings. And you know, I think that's something that we're seeing with uh, all of the major postseason awards. And you think back to, uh, some of the selections in the 1980s for even something as big as MVP, and we see some really horrible selections. And it doesn't seem like even the candidates that we're talking about now are, are anything remotely like uh, some of those guys who won in the mid-'80s. But anyway, circling back to defense, I'd like to know, how did you get interested in defense? Interesting, because uh, the reason I'm involved with the SDI, uh, I, was on the, I was working with Sabre, and I do a lot of work at Sabre, but when I was when we first put together the committee, I participated in it because I knew a lot about defensive data because I had started doing analysis in the mid '90s. So in '95 and '96, there was no uh, baseball prospectus, there was no baseball reference, there wasn't there wasn't anything. All right, it was literally what you could look up in your baseball encyclopedia or total baseball was really the predominant uh, system. And when you could do that, you could try to piece something together. But I really worked hard 
at the time, uh, a lot of the stat head uh, common sense was that defense was not as important as offense. And I said, well, I don't really believe that. It could be just as important. Now, fortunately, in 96, Ray Ordonez showed up on the Mets. And I'm sure if you're as old as I am, you remember that Ray Ordonez was literally so incredible with the glove. And it didn't matter that he hit five at an OPS of 500. Like, it doesn't matter. He's saving so many runs with his glove. And so the argument on, uh, at the time in Usenet, it was alt, sport, baseball, NY Mets. And, you know, uh, a lot of people, Dan Zimborski from ESPN would argue with me about this at the time. Uh, and a whole bunch of, uh, just a whole, of Howard Megdahl, who is a writer, uh, out there, but it was a lot of people. All the prospective founders uh, were writing at the time, um, so it was a very, very, uh, you know, the only place you could get sabermetrics and advanced statistics. And I had been a stringer for Stats Inc. Stats Inc. Uh, in the early days of it, ninety to ninety four. And so I said, we ought to be able to take that data and turn it into a runs-based analysis because it's the, it was the only really original, you know, zone-based – and not zone by fielder, but where was the ball hit and should the player have caught it? That was the only system. John DeWan invented it. John DeWan also found Baseball Info Solutions, which does essentially the same thing. So John DeWan is the master of this. And he did build it with Bill James. That's another – key aspect to it. But I said, you should be able to take that, turn it into runs. So uh, with some open source interactions, uh, a couple of, you know, old Usenet people, like uh, these won't mean anything unless you're really into it, Dale Stevenson and Don Johnson. And of course, Dan Zimborski uh, was a big factor in it because we talked a lot online. And so I worked out a system that was unbiased, and was just based on the math, and it said that Ray Ordonez was absolutely a great fielder, but nowhere near good enough to make up for such a terrible hitter. So that's really uh, how I got into uh, creating this defensive system that I built off of stats uh, data. But uh, to me, I, I really believe that if, if a good enough glove can make up for a bat. And we're really seeing a lot of that now. When we talk about Andrew Jones' uh, Hall of Fame uh, credentials, it's completely based on his glove. Obviously, he doesn't hit enough to be a Hall of Fame uh, center fielder, you know, Joe DiMaggio. But we talk about how much his glove makes up for that. So it really matters a lot in, in how you uh, are pre- presented uh, – considering just both for whether it's in any given season of uh, MVP or subsequently your Hall of Fame. Bring this over back around to the Mets. I know you were talking about Ray Ordonez, but let's talk about the uh, the current club. And this past year we saw that the Mets had a horrible infield defense, but what kind of flew under the radar maybe a little bit was that their outfield defense was pretty good. And I want to know, is, is this unusual or, or do you know of other examples maybe where a team had this, uh, this Jekyll and Hyde defensive personality? 
<laughs> well, the Mets are notorious for this. Um, they ha- are really big in not worrying too much about being consistent. Um, <laughs> I, I, in my favorite talk, uh, it really showed. But uh, one of the things about it is Alderson. If you look at Sandy Alderson's track record, and uh, and there's a link, and I don't know if you can share that in some manner, but uh, there's a link at Saber. Uh, .org of my presentation that shows the slides and, and has a recording of the talk, but it really talks about how the Oakland A's performed defensively under Sandy Alderson and then how the Mets have performed under Sandy Alderson. And it, without question that there's a gap there uh, that it's not something he puts money into immediately or he doesn't really consider it to be that important. So for the Mets in the infield, right, it seemed like they were not good, but where they were not good was a few players. Shortstop and third base were just an absolute abomination. Uh, So the Mets had – I don't know if you've had a chance to look or summarize. The Mets had by far the worst defense in the league, in either league, right, by a 10-plus run. They were the worst defense by a massive margin. But catcher, first base, second base, uh, center field, left field, right field, uh, really came out around average, right? The outfield had some higher spots, right? But they were about average. But shortstop and third base were so terrible. I mean, they were – I'm talking specifically about uh, red, the runs effectively my metric. They were 33 runs out of the 40 runs below average. 33 of them came at those two spots. Now, I'm sure even if Sandy Alderson doesn't believe in defense, he believes that you have to be strong up the middle. I mean, I believe there's one of those uh, quotes in some of, the, some of the paper, that you know, strong up the middle which I think was the first post I ever made on Usenet. And if there's anything the Mets were not was strong up the middle. And, and it doesn't look like they're going to be strong up the middle next year. I mean, we'll see, but uh, I'm not brimming with confidence. Now, of course, the, the main culprit in that was uh, playing as Jubal Cabrera at shortstop and the third base combination of Jose Reyes to Wilmer Flores. And uh, hopefully we won't see uh, any of those three on a, on a regular basis, at least at those particular positions. Um, why the Mets insisted on playing Flores at the left side of the, the infield is, is something that we're just going to have to, us and future generations will just have to scratch their heads over. But, uh, um, but I want to uh, maybe look at this from a, a different way. Instead of looking at a, a bad defender, and what about a good defender? And, and obviously, we're talking about Juan Lagares. And Hernandez uh, has been quoted as saying, "Is all that he has to do is hit 260 to be an everyday starter." How do you feel like your research with uh, what you did uh, back in the 90s would influence your response on on uh, Hernandez's quote? <laughs> well, uh, you know, Hernandez's quote obviously short sheet what we know about offense. Uh, hitting 260 doesn't count. You have to hit 260 with you know, close to league average walk rate uh, to achieve that 
proper. You know, 260 is, and I'm sure he says that thinking that's the league average batting average. But then you also have to walk uh, and have an OBP around uh, point, uh, 330. And then you have to have a slugging around 370 or 380. Now, maybe even higher than that last year because of the home runs. But yes, if if Ligaris hits, uh, I think his uh, OPS plus, and I didn't look at his WOBA, but his OPS plus was around 85, 85 to 90. So if he hit 85 to 90 uh, in OPS plus and plays a plus 15 defense, that's good enough to be on the field. That is easily good enough to be a starter. Now, am I confident uh, he's going to hit 85 or 90 with full time? Nah, no. Uh, I mean, I don't think it'll be Ray Ordonez in 55 to 60, but if he hits 80, 75 to 80, then he can't be an everyday starter. Uh, the, the quality of center field uh, and and uh, Tom Pango of, of MLB Advanced Media posted about this today, that at this point in Major League Baseball, left fielders are hitting the same as center fielders. So now you're talking about a serious problem that if your center fielder can't hit as well as a left fielder, uh, he's not going to save enough runs. And it's very problematic to run somebody out there who can't. Now, Ligaris is absolutely a great defensive outfielder, but what happens to all great defensive outfielders is it's a young man's game. So if Ligaris absolutely will lose a run or two every year going forward from his first year. So in his first year, he comes in, he's like saved, you know, uh, over a calculator over a full season, 25 runs. It's been five years or four years. Yeah, he's down eight runs. You lose those steps so fast. The, the top guys in the league, Brian Buxton, uh, Billy Hamilton, the youngest guys in the league too. That's not a coincidence. And you will see that the drop-off of Ligaris's defense really fast. There are very, very few uh, defensive outfielders that keep it up that long. I mean, even when we talk about Andrew Jones, I mentioned a minute ago, yeah, his first five or six years, he was another planet. He was fantastic. But he got uh, rotund in a hurry, and <laughs> people just gave him a pass on that. Gave him a pass on that. But his, the analysis, and I have every year uh, of Andrew Jones' career, because uh, unlike, uh, you know, Baseball Info Solutions didn't start until 2005. Even UZR wasn't around until 2003. But this goes back to 1988. It covers everybody that most people today have seen. You know, anybody under the age of however long ago that was, was that's already 30 years, 30 years of data <laughs> that that you really can't uh, excuse. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I really was amazed at the, the drop-off uh, particularly as center fielders. Like if you talk about even Granderson last year, Granderson was an excellent outfielder. You mentioned that. But he was an excellent outfielder in right field. He was a poor outfielder in center field. And, and that, well, I'm going to say poor. He was not good. He was 
clearly below average in center field. And and why is that? If you get old, you simply can't chase down anymore. It doesn't take much, uh, but a half a step. That's why we see Conforto, uh, we see Nemo. They seem to be passable out there. They look like they're okay. Yep, while they're young, they can be okay, but they age really fast. Now, you said something about Andrew Jones. I believe the word you used was rotund, and I think that that almost could have applied to Ligaris there in the 2015, maybe even some of the 2016 season. And at least from, from DRS I don't, or uh, UCR, I don't know what your system shows, but there certainly was a, a big dip there. But he seemed to recover uh, last year. And I want to know, does your, do your numbers show the, the same thing for Ligaris in, in the field? Well, let me get, give me 30 seconds and I'll tell you. Because you you were mentioning how it's a young man's game, and it, it certainly looked like in 2013 and 2014 that Ligaris might even challenge some of our memories of early Andrew Jones. And then uh, it looked like he packed down a few pounds and, and wasn't getting to the balls, and certainly in 2015 that he had gotten to in the previous two years. Well, there's definitely no doubt that uh, the reputation of Jones uh, is, is carrying carried him a lot. Uh, on none of those Gold Glove votes were um, driven by uh, anything except reputation. Uh, so, Ligaris is definitely looking at at decline. Like last year, I think he was he was really working towards a handful of runs. Obviously, he was restricted in playing time. That always does it for you. But uh, what we really are seeing from uh, Juan is uh, – let's see if I have his age on hand. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, we we literally saw his first year was the best year. 15, he was definitely down. And then 16, he bounced back. So that's exactly what this shows. So 2013 is high mark. Uh, he sees a drop off in 2014, a little bit, but obviously that looks at a regression to the mean. And then 15, he goes down uh, slightly above average in center field. I'm not looking at all his numbers. And then 16 comes back a little bit. And this year he was also back at that uh, 2016 level. And that's also <clears throat> driven by – a lot of that is driven by um, – his playing time is so restricted. Right, that's really one of the aspects. If I look at um, what he projects to be, right, or or uh, would have played if we just said, you know, took Keith's advice and stuck him out there all every every day, even though he's hitting 260, would he be able to save all those runs? I mean, that's that's a, a difficult question but it looks like obviously he would and he would say like um say 15 to 20 runs we would be those early young andrew jones you know who was really a great center fielder was devon white so devon white is actually probably uh or carlos beltran those are the actual greatest center fielders of uh the last uh, couple of decades but yeah it looks like he absolutely, you know, uh, even last year, 
he would have had a really stellar year if he had gotten the playing time that uh, he he could have had. That's one second. Let me check one other thing. Um, Ligaris does not have a great arm though either, so that also would be you know kind of problematic. You can't just go and look at uh, what the what the defense looks like. You really have to look at all of his uh, aspects. And well, so we well don't tell Gary Cohen that. Uh, getting rid of the ball fast is okay, but he does not have a. I, I have what I've seen. I would if I were doing uh, Tom Tango's uh, another plug rim his uh, fan scouting report. My view is Ligaris does not have a great arm. You know, it, it's not. I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's you know much closer to average, if not below, than anything. Uh, but he's my just main, fine. My main complaint with Ligaris is that he's he seems to be incapable of throwing the ball to to any base on a fly. Every single throw <laughs> he makes bounces. And Gary Cohen is is famous for talking about you know what a what a wonderful throw he made. And it's just like well you know it was accurate. You know, it was on the, yeah. the the path that it needed to be. But because of his inability to throw it on the fly, he's depending upon the, the recipient, whether that's the third baseman or the catcher or whoever, to make the catch and then make the tag and yeah, making right. the catch much harder than it has to be. You know, it, right. it, it's almost in, in a way uh, a, a, akin to the uh, 79 All-Star game when Dave Parker un, uncorks this high throw that Gary Carter has to climb the ladder to catch and then make the tag. And everyone talks about what a great throw Parker made. Well, what about a great play Gary Carter made? And, you know, that gets completely <laughs> yeah. lost. Well, All right, well, uh, enough of one of the Garrys. I don't really like him, and I talk too much about him. Um, no, so right. He's um, okay. Um, you know, let, let's go on to uh, my favorite segment, and that's uh, where we make a crazy prediction. And I'm going to give you mine and ask you to, to comment on it and then ask you for yours, okay? Yes. All right, so my crazy prediction is the Mets will get 30 or more starts from four different starting pitchers <laughs> in 2018. How crazy is that? Did you say, wait a second, did you say from one starter? No, Four. <laughs> They, they will get 30 or more starts from one, two, three, four. Four different starters uh, in 2018. See, I, I don't – I'm a terrible Mets fan. I've been a Mets fan for a very, very long time. So I believe that is certainly within the framework of possibility because of who they are, right? You run Syndergaard. Even, I don't know who you're counting. Harvey, you know, you have Matt and DeGrom. Uh, DeGrom, Syndergaard, yeah, I can see that. Matt. Uh, I wish his butt was bigger and Harvey. <laughs> I wish his head was stronger, <clears throat> but so, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I, if you went 25, maybe I could buy into that 30. Uh, did any teams get 30, four starters with 30 starts last year or the year before? When was the last time that happened? So that one to me, I can see it happen because I have really rose-colored glasses on, but I would be that that one. Uh, I would love to see. We would win if that happens. We'll win. All right. So now each team. week I make a crazy prediction and I ask the guests to weigh in, and almost every week they say, "No, I don't think that's crazy," and then I go back, oh, no, and none good. of them ever come true. So 
Yeah. I feel like I'm making crazy predictions, so I'm glad that you agree with me that this one is, is kind of yeah. crazy. All right, give me yours. Alan. All right. This is really crazy. Our best player, at least on the infield this coming year, will be David Wright. Holy smokes. Um, certifiable. <laughs> wow. Um, I have to say, I did not see that coming at all. All right, explain. So David Wright just had surgery this week. He's been activated for the 60-day DL. Shoulder's fine. Had some pickup. Feels like his back is fine. He's supposed to show up at spring training on day one and be ready to go. And there's nobody that is going to be working out harder, trying to get stronger, making sure his body's in perfect shape for the start of the season. And we don't have to play Cabrera third. I don't know if maybe he should go over to second. I don't know. I'm not sure where I play David Wright. I do not play him at first base. He came back from his first surgery a few uh, a couple of years ago, and he hit like 400 for a couple of months, right? And he was hitting 375. I know that because I was with my daughter in uh, City watching a game, and I was teaching her about regression to the mean because David Wright was batting. He was hitting 375. And I was like, what do you know about that? She goes, well, that I said the league average is – closer to 280 what do you know she said he will regress to the mean and i was very happy about that however <laughs> i was talking to dan zimborski about it who does dips and it's all over at fan graphs new planet and he's got some terrible projection out there i am telling you david wright will is going to beat the pants off of those things all right that's my crazy prediction and you of course are saying that is insane well, uh, you were asking how many uh, pitchers, uh, uh, how many teams had four pitchers to to make thirty starts last year. When was the the last time that when was the last time that that David Wright played uh, played enough games to to qualify for the the best fielder? Uh, it's been quite a few. Yeah, at uh, least 2013, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's been a handful of years, and that's really what what Dan told me. Right. He's really old at this point. Well, he's smoked 34. He's, you know, the real great decline very late. I say David Wright comes back this year. He's got at least three or four good years in him and can still make the Hall of Fame. I am loaded. No, I do not have David Wright's face tattooed on my chest or anything like that. <laughs> but I do. But I do believe in David Wright. <clears throat> All right. Well, on, on that note, I, I think we have to call this a wrap. I'd like to thank my guest uh, tonight, uh, Chris Dial, for, uh, for joining us and, and talking uh, Mets and, and defense and invite everyone to uh, tune in again next Wednesday night at uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time where we'll be talking about the Mets. Thanks, everyone. Good night and goodbye. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, 
Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.